Welcome to the Living Word, the radio broadcast ministry of Living Word Church. As you have heard, I'm Sarah Ajala Emanuel. I'm the minister of Living Word Church. Now, we've been talking about the issue of the kingdom of heaven, one which is not, um, the kingdom of heaven is not a very popular message anymore on many church pulpits today, and I cannot understand for the life of me why not, because that is the whole idea. That is the reason we're called together. That is the reason we come together is to worship God, to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And as I established in my last uh, teaching on this issue, in Matthew chapter 10, from verse 5 to 7, Jesus, and in also in Luke chapter 10, verses, uh, verse 8 to 9, Jesus sent out his disciples to announce that the kingdom of God is near. That was the message. The kingdom of God is near. The message that, uh, that Jesus told them to go out and preach. Let's not forget that the message of John the Baptist also was repent for the kingdom of God is near. Now this was um, heralding the, announcing the arrival of the Messiah. When Jesus then himself started his teaching ministry in Luke chapter 17 from verse 20 to 21, he then affirmed his arrival by saying the kingdom of God is within you. That was Jesus' message. The disciples didn't teach that. John the Baptist didn't teach that. But Jesus himself, they taught that the kingdom of God is near. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you because he was God. He was God incarnate. He had the fullness of the authority to tell us that the kingdom of God is within us. Now, it's not just within everybody and anybody, whereby every human being has the kingdom of God within them. No. Jesus is saying that those of you, those of us who come to him, who give our lives to him, those of us who become born again by his spirit, we become become members of, citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And as I also said last time, if you're not a part of the kingdom of God here in the present world, you will not be for eternity. Because those people who are part of the kingdom of God now are those people who live their lives for God. Those people who have come to the understanding that they are created for God's own purpose, created to do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And as such, through Christ, through our knowledge of Christ, through our relationship, our living relationship with Christ the Savior, we are now living up to that purpose and living for God. We are not part of those who run around the world with worldly values who chase after the things of the world. We are not those part of those who want to accumulate and achieve and obtain all sorts of status in the world and all sorts of goods and wealth and fame in the world because we know that we are strangers in this world and we are in citizens of, of the kingdom of God. Even as we know, even as Paul the Apostle said that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We already are part of that kingdom through the character of Christ in us, through the nature of Christ in us. Now, um, the Beatitudes in chapter 5 of Matthew from verse 1 to um, 10 tell us about the character of Christ, the nature of Jesus Christ. And this is how we know those people in the world today, those professing Christians who are members already, citizens of the kingdom of God, those who will be with Christ for all eternity. 
It is a very pathetic thing when I hear ministers say that, oh, well, that decision is up to God. I don't want to say who will and who can't go to heaven. That decision is up to God. Jesus made it very clear. He didn't mince words about it. He told us very clearly who will and who will not go to go to heaven, who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, who will not be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. He told us very clearly. And so there's no reason why we should be confused. There's nothing confusing about scripture. It's all so clear so that we know what we are doing, we know where we are, and we know why we are doing what we do. Otherwise, we might as well all just live for today, you know, and just hope for the best. You know, a bit like the Muslims who like to pray for the dead in the hope that they will eventually make it to heaven through prayers of the living. It doesn't work that way. If you're not a part of the kingdom of Christ now, you will not be for all eternity. You cannot today live for yourself and for the world and then expect that at your death, God will then think, oh, well, it doesn't matter. You belong to this church or you belong to that church and you said you were born again. So that's fine. No, it's not fine. It isn't going to work that way. So the ambition of people, I mean, the the agenda of of a lot of churches today, which is particularly the charismatics, who all the agenda today is all about how you can better yourself, how you can be this, and always saying how you can have that, how you can achieve that, how you can be the best. And we're not talking about how you can be the best for Christ here. It's all material. It's all about material gain. It's not about how you can be the best, you know, in, in, in righteousness, how you can be the best child of God possible. No, it's not about that. It's about, you know, what you can get and what you can have and how you can better yourself. And the th- situation has gone so bad, it's gotten so rotten that, you know, you're given excuses that the reason you're not yet a millionaire, the reason you don't yet have all that your heart, your covetous heart desires, because when I say covetous, I'm talking about hearts that desire things of this world. So, of course, that's covetousness because the Bible tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. We should be grateful for whatever God has given us. But you have been told all the time to seek more and pursue more. And it's not right. You're a child of the kingdom. You should live the kingdom life. And as such, since the kingdom of God is very rich, that's the reason why you should be poor. I mean, some even go as far as to say that poverty is a sin. You know, and then they tell you things about you know, the kingdom of God. You know, since Christ said the kingdom of God is in you, that means you have the power of creativity. No, you haven't. You're not God. Only God has the power of creativity. That's not what it means. You are not a small God. Do you know, that another Bible verse that is perversely misinterpreted, telling you that you are a small God, so you have the power of creativity, you can create your own wealth. Really? So in all those years, you've been creating this wealth. Why are you still there then, still not having all that you are after? You see that you're self-deluded and you're deceiving yourself and letting yourself be deceived. This is not what it's all about. We are not equated. That the kingdom of God is in us does not equate us with God. He is sovereign. Nor are we equated with Christ. He is sovereign. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, In the Beatitudes, we have um, the nature of Christ described there, and Jesus speaks about those who will go to heaven having that nature. Also in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter that um, in which Paul taught the Corinthian church because of all their ridiculous behavior, their disgraceful Christianity they were practicing at the time, Paul spoke to them about love. And when we consider everything that he said, we'll see again Christ Jesus personified in the teachings about what love is and what love does and what love does not do. So, 
Again, in Galatians, uh, chapter 5 of Galatians, from verse 22 to 24, again, Paul um, speaks of certain characteristics which he calls the fruit of the Spirit. These characteristics also personify Christ. So every Christian, if we are unable to measure ourselves against the nature and characteristics of, of Christ Jesus in the Beatitudes, in 1 Corinthians 13, in Galatians 5, 22 to 24, then really uh, we cannot possibly have the kingdom of God within us. We simply can't because these are the characters of Christ and that is what we are told to emulate. We are to be like Christ. We are to grow in Christ-likeness. So why are you worrying about growing your bank account and growing your titles and growing your earthly position, which will vanish in a day? It only takes God to snuff out your life and, the, and, and all that comes to nothing. You call them achievements. They will not be achievements because these things will give no account for you before the Lord. They, will, they, they add nothing to you before the Lord. You will not be credited for the amount for, for the number of houses you owned or lands you owned or or, or how many uh, boards you sat on in the world and, and things like that. These things will mean nothing for all eternity. So what does count? Now, the last time we were talking about the Beatitudes because we're saying here, Jesus said very clearly in the Beatitudes, those who will go to heaven, those who will inherit the earth, those who belong to the kingdom of heaven, those who who will um, who were called the children of God, and uh, so we spoke about the poor in spirit. Jesus said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." And I said then that the poor uh, poorness of spirit that Christ was talking about is the opposite of self sufficiency. This is appreciating one's state of hopelessness apart from God's grace. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, you appreciate the fact that you are nothing, you can do nothing, you have nothing outside of the uh, grace of God. And so all that you are and all that you have is by the grace of God. And so you live a life of humbleness before the Lord. You're not haughty hearted and standing up tall. You know, I'm born again, I'm blessed and highly favored. All those ridiculous slogans that people are taught to say in pride and arrogance. And then... Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, we established that this morning we're talking about is not the regular day-to-day mourning of people dying, which we see in the world. That will always happen. We're always going to have that until until the Lord reestablishes the earth. People will always die. And every one of us is going to be affected one way or the other. In fact, it will be our turn as well sometime. You know, so really, this is not the morning we talk about when Jesus said they will be comforted. But we're talking about people who are embittered over sin, over the state of sinfulness, their personal sinfulness, and the sinfulness of the world. Because if you are one in purpose with Christ, and Christ is one in purpose with God, so you see, when you're one in purpose with Christ, you are one in purpose with God. When you're able to think like Christ, you are thinking like God. And when you're able to see things as Christ would, then you are seeing things as God would. So the, the, the morning we're talking about is the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And that leads, in turn, leads to salvation. 
Because when you consider your state, you mourn over, you, you, you are embittered over the state of your sinfulness. How you have wasted your life and your time living in sinfulness, living apart from the will of God, living apart in disobedience to the commands of God. When you realize it, you mourn it. And that is when you come before the Lord and pour yourself at his feet and seek forgiveness. That forgiveness leads to your salvation. And that is what Jesus said when he said, they will be comforted. The comfort we receive is forgiveness and salvation. Now, we move on now then. He said, uh, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, the earth in its present state is not what we are going to inherit. It's going to be the same earth, but God said he's going to renew all things. Because for a start, Jesus will separate the, he will separate his church from the world and then everything else that's left in the world will be taken out and then God will re-establish the world as the home of righteousness where once again he said he will work amongst us, we will be his people and he will be our God and everything will be brought. This is the purpose of Jesus Christ. That's why he came, to bring all things under one head everything subject to God Almighty. So, Jesus said, the meek will inherit the earth. So, the present world that people are striving to own and to possess and to obtain these and achieve that is going to be no more the way we see it. So, all that chasing around is futile. All that chasing around is futile. There's nothing wrong with us working hard. There's nothing because, yes, indeed, God ordained it that we must work for a living. But when you're entire life is centered around what you must get, what you must have, what you must own, then you are an idolater. And the Bible says very clearly that greedy people are idolaters and such will have no part in the kingdom of God. Very clearly said in the Bible, you know, so there's no mincing words about it. So we are able to, through the words of Jesus, through the teachings of Christ and the apostles, we're able to establish who will and who will not go to heaven. You can assess yourself and determine because believe me, if you are not candidate through the words of Christ, if you're not in line with the words of Christ, then maybe some you, well, I would urge you to repent very quickly and get yourself back in line with Christ because there'll be no explaining anything away on that day when you face him on the day of judgment. You will not have any excuses. So now, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Who are the meek? The, this meekness we're talking about is not weakness, but rather it is power under control. It is power under control. It is self-control empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now we know that part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the Bible makes clear, is self-control. Because if you have self-control, you are able to reign in yourself when your, your own physical, your own sinful nature wants to go mad and go mental about things. You are able to rein yourself in. Because through the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot of ourselves do much, really, because we don't have the strength. Because, I mean, sinful man, we are born in sin, and as such, we have all the negative characteristics inborn in us, indwelling in us. But it is through the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are able to live the life of Christ. So meekness is strength under control. The ability to understand that the will of God must come first. The ability to put Christ first in all things. 
Yes, of course, the world may consider you weak. They look at you and they think you are weak because um, you are not chasing after the things they're chasing after, you know, and you're not doing the things they're doing. So they think, oh, look at you, you know, you're so dry and drab and such things. And they think you're something of a fool, in fact, sometimes, because you're quiet when people are, you know, losing their heads around you and charging about, you know, playing go-getters. You are just, you've got a quiet, subdued spirit. A spirit that is fully trusting in the Lord in every circumstance. But you know what? Now the world may consider you weak, but you have strength. Like I said, it is power under control. Jesus Christ was meek. He was God. He could do and undo anything. Yet, he was very gentle. And he did not attack his his adversaries as uh, a lot of acclaim of self-professing ministers today do shouting the, the, the and sweating away you know co- almost convulsing saying they're casting out demons shouting all over the place holy ghost fire holy ghost fire hey, there's nothing like that the holy spirit of god does not scream and yell he's quite gentle and this is what is displayed in christ jesus spoke he spoke his commands so did the apostle we don't read anywhere about the apostles running riot in the name of deliverance, sweating you know, profusely and jumping up and down. All this nonsense that is practiced today in the name of casting out demons and deliverance that is scandalizing the Christian church. I don't know where it has come from, if not the demon world itself. This idea, I mean, come on, it's, there's been two programs, or was it three programs I've watched on television now in the UK about this. Church is claiming to accusing, wrongly accusing innocent children of witchcraft and telling people that the reason they haven't made it rich and the reason they're suffering sickness and all those things, things that are normally normal to human life, telling them the reason they're going through all this is because of some witch or wizard influence. It is very pathetic that many people who call themselves Christians cannot detach themselves from the mysticism and, and, and occult beliefs and the fear of, the, of, of witches and wizards. It's pathetic because I don't know what kind of Christianity people are practicing if you do not think that christ is sovereign overall in every and over any realm whatsoever and he has promised and well we know his promise that he is over us he watches over us but people don't know they still want to go to a fellow man to deliver them and then they're accusing them and their poor innocent children of witchcraft and all this madness that's going on it is nothing to do with christianity i don't know where that's come from but it is a shame because it is scandalizing the church of Christ. And that is exactly Satan's purpose, is to, bring, to scandalize the name of Christ. But you know what? It's never going to happen. The name of Christ will always be the name above all names. And his sovereignty nobody can destroy. No one can tarnish his image. No one can destroy his name. And you know what? No one can destroy the church of Christ. There are many places that call themselves churches, but they do not belong to Christ. And nobody can ruin the church of Christ. That's why Jesus said the, the gates of Hades will not overcome his church. That is established. That's an established fact and it will always be the case. So, we're talking about meekness here. The apostles also, <clears throat> they face a lot of persecution and condemnation and floggings and everything. Yet, they did not display the power they had and the authority they had in God by destroying their enemies and fighting their Satan and all that in the sort of ways that people practice today, as I was saying. No, 
meekness under control. You understand the power that is in you. You want to see the true meekness under control in the, in the, in the regular Christian. is the ability to go through problems in this world, to face all problems in this world, while not giving up your faith. You still trust in God. You know it is well with you. No matter what you're going through. No matter how bad. No matter how severe the situation. No matter how unfavorable. You are still praising God. You are still serving Christ. In quiet submission. In humbleness. You are not disdained. You are not there discouraged. You, you, you do not consider suicide. People think, people of the world think they've got power, they think they've got authority, they think they've got it made, yet they commit suicide when things look, when things go pear-shaped, when things are unfavorable. People, some people can't handle it. They become hooked on drugs, they become hooked on alcohol, all sorts of things. Shoot themselves, kill their children, kill their wives, destroy whole families, you know, because they just don't see a way out. But yet, the true Christian, through it all, is praising. Through it all, does not matter. They're able to say, it is well with my soul. Why? Because it is the soul that counts. It is the soul that matters. Not our physical circumstances. Our physical circumstances will pass with this world. Be them favorable or unfavorable. They are going to pass with time. But our souls are for all eternity and that is all that matters. And it does not matter. A true Christian knows that it doesn't matter what they are going through in this world it is well with their souls. They have a lot to look forward to. The promises of Christ, the riches and glory that we have to look forward to. That, that was the feeling of the author of the song that, with the chorus, It is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford in those days lost everything that he had, including his family. Lost all his children. It was just him and his wife that survived. He lost, was it, four or five children. He lost all his wealth. He lost his business. He lost everything. Yet, in the darkest hour of his pain, at the gravest point of his pain, he was able to sing that song. Though trials should come, though Satan Satan should taunt me and torment me, it doesn't matter. Whatever the case, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Not a lot of Christians can say that today. This was a person who had peace with God. This was a person who knew he was a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So he lost all that he ever had in the world. He lost all that he cherished in the world. But yet, he knew that he still had Christ. He knew that he had his relationship with Christ. And that was the most, that was the utmost, the most important thing that he possessed. So he was able to sing that song. He was able to sing that song with every confidence. It is amazing. It is well. It is well with my soul. Today's Christians are full of anxiety, running back and forth to one crusade or the other, looking for financial breakthrough and miracles. I, I can never understand this, what this search for miracles is all about. What do you need a miracle for? Better finances? Bigger house? What, what, exactly what? Healing? You fall ill. If you get healed today, you must still fall ill tomorrow. We live in a mortal tent. It's going to be subject to wear and tear. It's going to weaken. It's going to fail eventually. But the soul is forever healthy. Well, that is the soul that's in Christ. Many souls are very sick because they are not in Christ. A soul that is not in Christ is sick because it is practic- which is unconscious, really, and eventually will be destroyed. 
That's why Jesus said to us, do not be afraid of those who uh, can kill the body and after that do nothing else. But be afraid of he who, having killed the body, can also destroy the soul in hell. Is it well with your soul? You will say that if you're a true Christian, if you're living in the light, if you're living the in the truth of God, in obedience to Christ, if you're living the life of Christ, then you know it is well with your soul. Because it doesn't matter what what happens in this world. You are a citizen of heaven. You are only passing through here. We are aliens. The Bible says we are aliens in this world. We do not belong to this world. Jesus made that very clear. Okay, let's speak of the next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What's your quest? Your quest, you chasing after hungering and thirsting for miracles, for financial breakthroughs and all those things that are promised by men, not God. Men who just shut it up down the pulpit by the end of all the promises and every, all the lies they tell you. You have to sow seeds of faith. In other words, you put in your money as an investment for what you're going to get out of God. We do not pay God for any favors. He doesn't need a penny from you. And if you deceived in that way, well, it's just because you choose to be deceived. Because Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if you find yourself still bound to well, all sorts of tithings and all sorts of sowings and givings because you're wanting more out of God for that reason, you're wasting your time. When we give, we do give for the purpose of furthering the gospel and, and things like that. But not the sort of ridiculous amounts of money that is being demanded today. And you do not give because you want God to give you back. Yes, the Bible does promise us that whatever we give will be given back. But that must not be your purpose in giving. If that is your purpose in giving, you are giving for a selfish cause and God will not gratify your selfishness. He will not do so. God is a staunch disciplinarian and he disciplines those that belong to him. So if you're giving just so as an investment you get back out of God, you're wasting your time. True Christian giving is the realization that everything in your hand is entrusted to you by God for a purpose. So you're selfless in your giving. Not give, you give it, we don't even think about it because you know it was never yours in the first place. So it's not a problem to share what you've got. That's how the believers in, in the book of Acts, the, the first set of believers, that's how they live. The Bible tells us very clearly that all the believers were one in purpose. They brought all that they had and shared everything that they had amongst themselves so that there was none who was needy amongst them. Today's church is full of needy people. Whilst the ministers are getting rich all the time. And those who are wealthy in the church are not too keen on sharing their wealth with the needy members of the church, but rather to gain favors from the pastor, which they think translates to favor from God. They're buying gifts for the pastor and giving to the pastor and saying they're giving to man of God or woman of God. You're fooling yourself. Yet they are needy. There's so many needy surrounding you. There's so many orphans all over the place who need adoption. There's so many destitute children all over the place, so many destitute people, so many widows who need financial help. No, you ignore those. The only giving you do is because you want to get more out of God as you're being taught to believe. And yes, you're giving and you're giving and one person's getting richer, which is the preacher, and you're getting poorer. There's preachers who are so heartless, they're even, they, 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 they have no qualms about robbing the poor of their congregation. They keep telling, it doesn't matter if it's your last penny, just put it in, just sew it in. 
I'm constantly bombarded with all kinds of foolish letters of demands from Peter Popov Ministries and another guy. I can't remember his name now because I keep dumping them in the bin nowadays. They keep sending me all kinds of foolish articles. You know, one minute it's a handkerchief, the next time it's some kind of oil, the next time it's some kind of string to tie on my bed. All these mad things I'm supposed to be sending money for. It was a mistake me ever contacting them in the first place. But the first time I contacted them was because I really wanted to see for myself what these guys were all about. Now they put me on their stupid mailing list. It's the most annoying things that come through, comes through my post every week. Every week I'm invited to sow something or the other. And they even remind me of the ones I've failed to sow that I'm still owing. Can you imagine? And these madmen have the nerve to tell me they've got word for me from God. Oh, it's unbelievable what's going on these days. But I tell you what, like I keep saying, the Church of Christ will never be discredited because of a few charlatans. It's never going to happen. So there we are. You hunger, you, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want to be like Christ. Genuine longing for God's righteousness rather than the establishment of one's own righteousness. Remembering that Jesus self said that um, unless, a Pharisee, unless a righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, we will not see the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5 verse 20. Jesus made that very clear. He said, unless... For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So you see, through all these teachings of Christ himself, we know how to get to heaven. We know whether or not we belong there even now. And as I keep saying, unless you belong there now, you cannot be there for eternity. It is kingdom of heaven is not something we're going to achieve at a point of death or after we have passed from this world. No, you have to be a citizen now. Do you belong there now? Are you thirsting for righteousness? How much do you long to be like Christ in your thoughts, in your words, in the things you do? How much? How much do you do, do you aspire to be like Christ? How much do you check yourself and compare yourself with Christ? I told you the best way to do it. Look in First Corinthians, First Corinthians thirteen. See what love is all about? Well, because Jesus Christ was the love. He was love. God is love. So you want to know how to love or what's expected of you? What love does and what love doesn't do? Read First Corinthians 13. That is the nature of Christ. Read Galatians 5, 22 to 24. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is the nature of Christ. The Beatitudes, which we're studying presently, that is the character of Christ. The nature of Christ. And if you find that you cannot add up or measure up, how you can't compare with these characteristics, there's something wrong with your Christianity. There's a lot wrong with your Christianity. And you see, we cannot define our own Christianity. It doesn't work that way. That is what has been done in, a lot, in most places today, but it's not going to work. The Christianity of convenience, where the preacher won't tell you anything that's going to upset you or annoy you, because if you leave, that, you know, they'll be losing out on your tithes and seeds and offerings. Christianity that does not unruffle your feathers. The Christianity of comfort. That is not Christianity. Christianity means the, 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 uh, an absolute emulation of character, of the character of Christ. Christianity, being a Christian means you're a little Christ. Not by name, but by nature, by character. And we are not born that way. But we become born that way when we're in full submission to our Lord and his word. I'm going to leave it here. Next week, we're going to, uh, we'll finish the Beatitudes next week. So we know who is and who is not. 
um, a candidate, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. If you're not today, you cannot be forever. You will have to be. If you're not in this present world, you cannot be after you leave this world. That's what I mean. Because if you're not today, you still have today to, re- to repent. Tomorrow may be too late. Tomorrow is not in your hands. So check out. Check out, check out your Christianity. Is it adding up? Is it what Christ has required? Until the next time, I'm Sarah Jala Emanuel, and uh, you may contact me at beat, um, livingwhatchurch at btinternet.com. Until the next time, may the Lord richly bless you. <laughs>